wonderful to be here. Everything is happening like clockwork this morning. <laughs> and um, thank you for coming to church. Thank you for continue, continuing the legacy of uh, gathering um, and worshiping and going through new songs, meeting new people. Um, I hear many people say, I, I don't do crowds or um, I, just, I just don't like big gatherings, you know, and um, it's always a... I'm sure, I'm sure everyone's got some little thing. Maybe you're very shy or maybe you're struggling with somebody at the church, amen? But thank you for coming. <laughs> thank you for walking together. Maybe, um, you know, you'd like better donuts or cappuccinos, whatever. And thank you for bearing with, with each other and thank you for being a resilient church, amen? I thought of all the guys in the war in Ukraine been fighting now for, I don't know, what's it, 15 months or 18 months, bankers, professors, uh, musicians, businessmen, um, teachers, nurses, fathers, in the front line, in the mud, in the blood, in the bullets. And uh, I wonder what will become of that generation that uh, when they, the war is over and they come back to normal life, I wonder if they will be changed, appreciative, um, honoring, um, grateful, amen. And so we, we trust we will are those people who love God, love each other, are resilient, um, are appreciative, uh, love our nation, love our churches, love our spouses, love our leaders. Uh, that's just an extra. It's not part of my notes. Um, I want to talk to you this morning about a subject that would probably take a few weeks, if not a couple of months, to unpack. But uh, I'll try this morning to talk to you about our values, red points. So it's a very different preach to what we've been going through in the book of Ruth, which is a beautiful gospel romance story of a, of a forgotten girl who falls in love with a prince, Boaz. It's, been, it's basically the church as broken from a different tribe, meeting Boaz, our kinsman redeemer, Jesus, and a beautiful romance. The story of the Bible is a story of love and romance and affection. It starts with a marriage. It ends with a, a, a great banquet of a marriage feast. It's a family, and um, this morning is going to be slightly different, and I hope my preach comes across clearly and uh, as best as I can. Not necessarily an easy concept to speak about, but I'm sure you will get it. Okay, so I'm going to talk to you about values. What are our values? And uh, before I run through some of our values, I just want to say that our values in this church need to be biblically derived. You can have values that are not biblical. So all our values, I'm, I'm assuming we understand that they are biblically, biblically um, derived, that the scriptures have influenced us. Things like love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and integrity, these are values that we didn't just pull out because somebody arrived here five years ago and said, these are the values. They are not personal preferences. Like, for example, you might say, I, want, I like to join a cool church or a stylist church, or a celebrity church. I know none of you, or I, I want to belong to a contemporary church. So we can pull out values that are good ideas. They're slightly westernized or humanistic, or, you know, we just want to be a church that's full of love, like, you know, the hippie love, just peace and love and no judgment. But those are often values that are derived from, from subcultures, amen? And so, um, it's not, it's biblically derived, it's not personal preferences, okay? It's, and it mustn't be toxic. 
So in some churches or in some businesses, you have toxic values which become, so values lived out become cultures. So the things that you value after a while will become a culture. You can have a toxic culture created by unhelpful values. So you might have a, coming back to the church, because I'm not going to be speaking about businesses or nations, even though I touch on them, you could have a culture where there's a lot of gossip in that church. I mean, I've been to a church, I no, I will not name it, that they say there's a gossip problem in that church, okay? That's not what we want, eh? Or it could be a harsh church, or it could be a church where there's, you, there's, there's a sense of, of judgment. People feel judged all the time. Sometimes that's a spirit convicting, and people say, well, you're judgmental. No, sometimes, so we don't want that, or very religious They've got all funny, strange religious paintings like of unicorns and angels and clouds and funny things. And people think, well, what is that? It's like trying to understand Ezekiel. People think, well, I'm glad we don't have that. And if you do have that, enjoy them in your church. I know there's some visitors here. Um, but so we don't want to be controlling, okay? That's a, in other words, sometimes you have in a church a value that's, you know, um, that becomes, sorry, that the leaders become controlling. They control everything. Can't do this. You can't go to the movies. You can't dance at parties. You can't wear those clothes. So we've got to be so careful of that. Ungracious, cultish. There can be cultishness in churches. I know one church that's so strong on, on sacrifice and community that they've become cultish. So that everything is like, oh, you're not sacrificing, brother. So you can have values that are even good that push, that become cultish. These values that we have that create cultures are often spearheaded or initiated or heightened by gifts or calls in people. So what happens is, I remember I was thinking of worship this morning and that Finney Digicini, he brought in a culture of exuberant worship. So what happens is when you have, or somebody may say, listen, I have a heart for kidsmen. And they begin to shape kids' ministry. They bring a value of saying, we need to take our kids' ministry to a next level. And so when you have values, then don't just happen in a vacuum. They happen through people. And so God may use you to, to shape a church by prayer or by kidsmen or by serving or by worship or by kindness. And so what he does is the Lord gives us those values in his word, but sometimes, by God's grace, somebody would join the church or join your life group, and you think, wow, you have taught us how to be generous. And then that value of generosity begins to shape a church, okay? So, um, so values and cultures are closely related, but they're distinct, Values refer to a set of beliefs and practices that guide who we are and we, what we want to become. They inform us. So even as we sit as the elders and we have to make big decisions, what do we do with this need? If we have a culture of generosity or, or if we are a generous people, we create a culture of generosity and we tend to always give. Amen? Well, we can't. And so, so what happens is that these values begin to shape our decisions and we grow in them. Now, obviously, in a church, we want biblical convictions and biblical values, as I've said. And um, we, want, 
We welcome your gift. We welcome what you are passionate about. Held in tension with other values, amen? Held in tension with other truths. Sometimes people say, well, it's all about evangelism. If you're not getting the lost saved. No, it isn't all about evangelism. It's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. We may be weak in evangelism. And so we welcome your passion and your prayer and your example of how to reach. And you, sir, or you, ma'am, who have a great heart for evangelism, we need you to help us. But we also need the pastor. We need the teacher. We need the prophet who's always pointing. We need the apostle who holds it all together. Amen. So all these values are celebrated and together they form a culture. Give me an amen, somebody. Am I, am I somewhere around the mark? Culture is what's created over time as various values take roots. They can take years, okay? So, so I hope I can say this. Help me if I'm offended. But I want to say when we came to Red Point, we weren't really greeted and it concerned me. Got no reflection on who was here, but... And so Katya and I made a choice, and I hope I'm not boasting, Lord, but we said, okay. So we went to meet everybody. Hello, Nick and Katya. Oh, hello, Nick and Katya. And uh, some people were very warm, but generally, we, so we said, okay, how do we create a culture of warmth and greeting? Obviously, we came here to, with a view to perhaps leading the church, certainly being elders. So you can create a culture, and it can take time, and you want to be patient with one another. Amen? You have different cultures and families and different... Values and cultures and organizations, regions, religions, nations, churches. I remember arriving in England and thinking, wow, like how are these tubes? Here we just have cars and dust roads and big open spaces. When I got to England, I thought, or London, this is so different. A different culture, different values established different ways, okay? And so they're created over time. Sometimes you have... Uh, I remember in Turkey thinking there's something, I spent three months in Turkey, or you know, three months in Turkey, and I thought there's some things I love about this culture, but other things that I just don't like. I remember the, the going into deep into Turkey and thinking there was almost a, the, the woman had to run from houses. They weren't allowed to be seen walking because if they were walking, they were loitering and they were looking for trouble. So I said to the guy, why are you women running? He says, because they mustn't get up to mischief. And I said, and you? <laughs> No, you don't do any mischief. And these poor women were running from house to house. That's a culture that's created because they think that the woman must be incarcerated under religious spirits. What are some of our values that I want to share with you? Well, well no, no sense of preference, but I've tried to think through what's important. The, one of the values that we have is that we are a word-based scriptural Community. Now, everyone's going to say that. Oh, no, we believe the Bible, okay? Everyone's going to say we believe the Bible. But I want to say once again, and I want to give you some scriptures that I believe that the, the Bible governs what we do. It's the final authority. The Bible is the infallible. It's the inerrant. It's the Holy Spirit inspired. It's the breathed word of God. The, the scripture is eternal. It's perfect. It's sacred. And it's never changing. Therefore, we honor the scriptures. We can be horrible and Bible bash people. We can be even pharisaical. But we love and we trust God with the scriptures. And we honor the scriptures, but we do it with love and with grace, okay? 
All scripture is God breathed because of the sake of time and the power that's going to go off at 10. I'm not going to give you every scripture, but they're all here. All scripture is God breathed. Timothy. Well, I don't think that should be there. That is, that is not the value Redpoint has. I don't care if I like it, if I agree with it, if you do, if the elder does or the deacons don't. I'm just telling you that the word of God stands. And we all of us, including myself, honor the word of God as the highest authority. The law of the Lord is perfect. Well, you know, there's a contradiction. No, sir. No, ma'am. I don't agree with you. We think there's a contradiction because of language or culture. But the word of God written over 1,500 years, 66 books written by 40 authors over this period of time is, perf- is absolutely perfectly synchronized. It's the truth of God. When one guy gets up and says, the Lord appeared to me and he gives you his whole volume, I would worry and I could name them, but I won't for the sake of time. But this mysteriously and beautifully and wonderfully is written by fishermen and doctors and professors and theologians and um, all sorts of different people. God says, watch this. Give me a fisherman. That's crazy, like Peter. And he writes the beautiful two epistles. And then you have your theologians like Saul of Tarsus who hates the church. He says, I'm going to use him to write the Bible. And then you have a rinky-dink old prophet called Moses with a stick and he writes the Pentateuch and through God's wonder and, 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 um, and the prophets and his incredible farmer you know what it is I'm a son, son of a I'm not a prophet I'm a son of a farmer who said that was it Hosea I forget as for God his way is perfect the word of the Lord is flawless we believe that it's a value You preserve my life according to your word, not according to my folly, but my life is preserved according to your word. So in our home, Katya and I, again, I hope I'm not boasting, we love to read the word. There's Bibles in every room, on every desk. We've got all sorts of different Bibles. We've sought to live our lives and we sit and talk on our veranda because we don't have kids because they all gone out the house, not only two of them. We, we love to talk about the scripture and what we discovered, amen? It's perfect. We want to live our lives according to your word. Your word is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens and the little ant called the human being says, ah, we don't, we don't believe your word. Your word's like, ah, it stands in the heavens. The word of God, brothers and sisters, do not snatch the word from my mouth. Psalm 119 says, so the word of God is on our mouths. We can quote it, amen? I lift up my hands to your commands. I mean, Psalm 119, 48. Actually, I lift up my hands to your words, to your decrees, to your precepts, to your truths, to your laws. I lift up my hands. Isn't that beautiful? So we have a value, brothers and sisters, of the word. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and enduring word of God. Jesus is called the word of God. There's the, there's, there's the descriptive word. So, so when we speak as humans, normally our words are descriptive. Then a wonderful day today, the sun's shining the grass is green, kind of brown as well, blah, blah, blah. You know, the red points. We are descriptive. God's work is creative or performative, the old theologians would say. The word of God is powerful. The word of God is, and God said, let there be light, and God creates. Isn't that wonderful? 
And so the word of God, brothers and sisters, is amazing. I've got some notes that say this. Through the law, God made his word known to Israel. And then in the fullness of time, God spoke his very word. He spoke the word. The word was at the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. The word by which all things came to be. The word that he spoke through the prophets now comes in the person. In the fullness of time, we're speaking about now Jesus is the word spoken. Bible, the, friends, the Bible is very, very important. And I tell you, over the next Decades, our universities, the West, the clever people, the scientists are going to say the word of God is weak. The word of God and God said, let there be light. Jesus is the word in its full glory. That is the word of God given to us and spoken to us. The doctrine of revelation is very important. I would not have known him except the Spirit say, we are a people that don't decide we're a people that have received revelation. The moment people say, you know, you know that, that, that we found God, we, we have determined, we decided that a bit of chaotic matter came together and smacked each other and there was this, this thing that happened and, and intelligence was created. The, 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 the scientists, the mathematicians say when you walk out your house, there is absolute intelligence and thoughtfulness in the, in the very time you step outside into creation. God's word is perfect. He made the earth. He made the heavens. He reveals himself. The two tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God given to Moses. I've come down from heaven. I have come to reveal the Father. So the Word, brothers and sisters, is God's revelation to us. It is sacred. This was not revealed to you by man, Peter, but, 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 mama, but by my Father in heaven. A voice came from heaven. This is my beloved Son. Saul didn't discover Jesus. He hated him. But then Jesus appeared to him and he fell to the ground blind. It was a revelation. Um, Jacob builds an altar called the place El Bethel because there that God revealed himself. This is the revealed word of God, the given word of God. Amen. Isn't that beautiful? Young people in this church, I urged you in the sexual revolution and us older people that we're going through this crazy, insane world that we're living in where, where, where people are giving children Drugs that affect their ability to change their, their biology or whatever. Surgery. 12-year-olds, 10-year-olds. And God says, I'm, I made man and I made woman and they shall come together. We are fiddling with the word of God. We're going to get ourselves into trouble. Those kids, when they grow up, will hate those doctors and those fathers and those politicians who came with this craziness. Amen? Somebody give me an Amen. Yes, there is depression. Yes, there is confusion. Yes, 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 I understand all that. But brothers and sisters, we lift our hands to the commands of God. That's a deep value in this church. And you can respectfully come to the elders or to anybody, especially to me, and say, listen, Nick, somebody, something was said from the pulpit, and I want to tell you that I struggle with it. You can do that. Please come gently. Amen? Please come respectfully because we are agonizing ourselves over this word all the time. There may be some things that we find hard to believe. Point number two, 
that Christ is supreme and Christ is censored and Christ is proclaimed. proclaimed. Can I have an amen? amen? Value number one, the word. Value number two, Christ in the center. Christ is everything. Jews want a miraculous signs. Greek look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. When you talk about wisdom and when you talk about power, they're the two things that were the most important that day. Give me wisdom or give me power, one of the two. He said, I'll give you Jesus crucified. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the dunamos, the demonstration, the power, the miracle of God and the wisdom of God. Jesus, brothers and sisters, is a very, very big deal. When I got saved, the gospel hit me, but I still was embarrassed about Jesus. I didn't like Jesus. It's like weird, isn't it? He's been embarrassed about Jesus. Why are they singing? I actually was being saved. I heard the gospel that, I, that the Spirit convicted me of my sin. But every time they, uh, they spoke about Jesus, saying, why are they carrying on about Jesus? And, and graciously and kindly, the Lord began to teach me about his son. And the Spirit revealed the son. I resolved to know nothing of troubled Corinthians, wild, gifted, um, opinionated, clever Corinthians. I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Crucified. Why, did they, why was the son of God crucified? Because of your sins and my sins. What? Are you telling me I'm a sinner? Absolutely. Absolutely you're a sinner. Are you telling me that he died for me? I'm telling you that your sin caused Jesus to be crucified and my sin to be nailed to a cross. And that if you do not accept the sacrificial work of Jesus, you will not see God. Uh, uh, uh. That's hate speech. Why did no one tell me? Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. No one told me. Every knee, every hating knee, every loving knee, every lying tongue, every truthful tongue, every knee, every tongue will confess. No one told me. They were so nice they didn't tell me. I shared the stories when I was, I was captain of athletics at school and we had a big meeting with all the schools and I was standing in, this, in the with all the athletes and my headmaster came to me and said, what are you doing in the stands? I said, oh, what do you mean what am I doing in the stands? You know, I was quite a cheeky young man. Still am, I guess. He said, you should be out there encouraging the athletes that you are captain over. And I looked at my PE teacher, the guy that was head of athletics. I said, why didn't you tell me that? I didn't know I had to do that. And I got angry with him. And I often remember that story. Did somebody tell me? Katya and I were in Mauritius recently and she invited a friend, a person over, and we had 40 minutes with her. I said to you, ma'am, Katya lovingly and graciously made her food, tea, and I had the job of saying to her, you need to be born again. Unless, if you do not, you will not see the kingdom. You just spoiled the tea. I said, I love you enough to tell you. He is the image of the invisible God. Jesus, brothers and sisters, is a big deal. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. Created by him and for him. Okay, He is before all things. 
before my marriage, before my children, before my finances, which means he, he stands before, he is first, amen? He is over, he is above. Then things will go better. I can't, you know? He is before the church. He is before South Africa. He looms larger than. And in him all things hold together. Why is my marriage falling apart? Why are my finances falling apart? Lord Jesus, are you before my finances? Are you, are you there? Why am I so depressed? Why am I discouraged? Why am I angry? Why do I hate myself? Why can't I fellowship anymore? Why can't I lift my hands? He is before all things. We preach him. He is the head of the body. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Be supreme in everything. It's good that my wife should say to me, is that, what would, is that what Jesus would say? Is that what Jesus would do? We should ask ourselves that question. God was pleased. God said, yes, 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 to have his fullness dwell in him. This is a deep value that we are Christologically centered. Why? We proclaim him to present everyone perfect in Christ. That, what that means is, in fact, we want, we want you to be presented in the fullness of Jesus. Not in the fullness of mission, not in the fullness of marriage, not in the fullness of the poor. Those are important, but in the fullness and the perfection of Christ. Why, is, why must Jesus be supreme? Because he who is the creator is supreme over all that he has created. Christ is the heir of all things. He is the brightness or the radiance of God's glory. It means he's the reflected splendor of God. He is the outer cusp and the glory. That's what the Father has given to the Son. That's what the Bible says. For in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. To the old Jew who said, we want to know God, but we can't because we, we don't, we can't, we've got this law, but it's clouded and it's, it was given by mediators and we don't have access. Moses did and they waited and they agonized and they prayed for Meshua or Messiah that would come. And when Messiah comes, he would, he would reveal all things. And Jesus is the revelation of everything that is God. He is the sustainer of all things. He offers himself as everything, as priest, as the very second. The, the priest would come along every year, every day sometimes with a sacrifice. Jesus says, I'm the sacrifice. He doesn't offer one. He says, I'm the sacrifice. I'm the priest. I'm the embodiment of the temple. I'm everything. I'm the word. You know, all the prophets, all the Torah. Here it is. I didn't send myself. He sent me. I'm the one who will wash your feet. I'm the one who lives to intercede for you. I'm everything. Man, this is a great truth that that even my mind, I sometimes sit in my brain, I think, Lord, can you just tell me who you are? It's too much for me. And he begins to give you a little glimpse of who he is. He's the author, he's, he's finished, he's sat down at the right hand of God, and he's highly exalted. Fix your thoughts, fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix, fix. One thing I ask that I may dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze, fix my gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. David, I mean, there's more to do, David. There's stuff to do. I envy the sparrow who can make a nest in your house. I just want to, I've conquered kingdoms. I have 
married woman, I have done everything, but I just long one thing, one thing, I want to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Because if you do that, you will be a different person. Why is it important? Because it's personal. Religion is distant. I've got to go to church. I've got to be nice to that auntie. I want to strangle her neck. I can sit tight, you know, so irritated. Jesus is far. But when he's full, when he's in you, when he's personal, when he's relational, he's alive in us, he calls us, he gifts us, he sustains us, he loves us, he heals us, he prays for us, he disciplines us, he encourages us, he sanctifies us. It's real, it's personal. When our ministries and our calls and our friendships and the people around us, when that's our number one thing, and it, and it falters, and it fails, even our marriages or our health, or our businesses, or our churches, can... But Jesus is the perfection of God, who lives eternally, who never fails, who never fades. So he says, all the crumbling stuff, let it go. Let it go. My body's so important. It is not that important. It's going to die. A stupid tree's going to... That tree could outlive your body. A tree can outlive this body. But Jesus, the f- become full in me. Mother Teresa, and listen, I'm a Mother Teresa hero. Mother Teresa is a good example, and I, only, I, share, this, I share this with actually a measure of nervousness and tenderness. But Mother Teresa had one of the most famous ministries in all of Christendom in the modern world. Amen? She was a giant she towered above all of us in terms of what she did. I quote from some of her writings. In my heart there is no faith. I want God with all the powers of my soul and yet between us there is a terrible separation. Listen carefully. In the chapel she watches her other sisters in front of her very eyes so wrapped up in prayer. She writes, I see them love God and I'm just alone, empty and excluded. This is Mother Teresa. In a letter um, to a spiritual confidant, uh, a guy called Michael van der Piet, she says, Jesus has a very special love for you, sir. She says, speaks to him. She assures him. But as for me, the silence and the emptiness is so great that I look and I do not see. I listen and I do not hear. The tongue moves in prayer, but it does not speak. Oh, wow. I want you to pray for me, please, Mr. Thunder Pete. That I let him have a free hand in me. In more than 40 communications, Time Magazine quotes this. She bemoans her dryness, her darkness, and her loneliness. And the torture she's undergoing. She compares the experience to hell. And in other words, see, hell is separation from God. And at one point she says, it has driven her to doubt the existence of heaven and even of God. She's a cl- I just imagine sitting with that woman. I mean, to me, Mother Teresa is a saint of saints. I believe she's in heaven. I'd love to imagine ministering to a lady like that. She's saying, I don't know God. You're saying she's got such an incredible ministry, but for some reason, she, she lost that, that personal Jesus. 
Which would you rather have? Well, let's have both. Let's have the ministry. Let's have the care. Let's have the mission. Let's have, but let's have Jesus. Because you see, I've seen so many of my friends have these incredible ministries, then get disappointed because actually the ministry falls apart or somebody criticizes it or the, or the, the season of pruning comes or, or they get, something happens and everything falls apart. I don't know what I believe anymore. I'd rather say, do you know who Jesus is? Forget mission, forget all this stuff. Do you know who Jesus is? Because Jesus sustains mission and um, the apostolic and evangelism and the poor, amen? Jesus is, sustains that. But if you have the one, with, you'd rather have no ministry in Jesus. Oof, I hope I'm okay here, Lord. You'd rather have Jesus and no ministry. Rather have all the ministry but no Jesus because there'll be much heartache. Am I being too intense, Kaji? Okay. The smile, she writes, is a mask or a cloak that covers everything. We value Jesus. It creates a culture of tenderness, of wonder, of worship, of awe, of, 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 of awe. You see, Jesus in the house, Jesus in the heart is a good thing. Point number three. Yes, we want to be spirit-filled and spirit-led very quickly. You can't be, you, no one can see the kingdom unless he's born of the water. Some say baptism and the spirit. The spirit gives birth to spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh. We are a spirit-believing people. In a few days we'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. I can only do it in water, says John. When the Holy Spirit came, they began to speak in other tongues or manifestations as the Spirit enabled them. We want to be Spirit-enabled, amen? We want to be passionately filled with the Spirit. I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Jesus was, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus in a, the form of a dove. The Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. Jesus, the Son of God, the second person of the Trinity, yielded and depended and, and deferred to the Spirit. He came back out of the wilderness in the power of the spirits. Do not put out the spirit's fire. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. Why did you make such a silly mistake? Wow, what were you thinking? I don't know, I've lost the spirit. Of course, Jesus and the spirit are one. So we want to be filled with the spirit. Ask God to fill you with his spirit. I'd encourage you to speak in other tongues. Pray in the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? The Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us. The value of not being weird, not going after manifestations, not trying to prove that God's in the house by doing strange things. Not that. Because when the Spirit was there with my man Mosey, when Mosey did this, the seas parted. When Moses, when the Lord said, strike the rock, the water gushed out. Beautiful water. The power of the Spirit is all over the New Testament. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits. Not fake, not a subculture, charismatic subculture. Full of the Word, full of Jesus, full of the Spirit.
Point number four. I'm going quick, quick now because the clock's ticking, eh, Mike? Prayer. Prayer. A value of prayer creates a culture of humility. Prayer is a thing of humbleness. As many people have said, I, I pray a lot. I wonder if he's hearing me. <laughs> prayer empties yourself of your own power. Well, you know what you do. Now, can I just pray? Well, well you don't need to pray about that. Now, I want to pray. Why do you want to pray? Because I want to weaken myself and strengthen the hand of my God in my life. Because I've seen my clever schemes can make a lot of trouble. Pray without ceasing, 1 Thessalonians 5. Jesus went up to the mountainside to pray. He spent the night praying to God. But we don't need to because we're okay, Jack. Jesus says, this is how you pray and when you pray. And my house shall be called a house of prayer. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. Prayer, brothers and sisters. Thursday, we have corporate prayer. People say it's amazing. I think it's far too small. Because actually corporate prayer, when Jesus walked into the temple, he expected the people of Israel to be corporately praying. It's inconvenient. Of course it is. Of course, sometimes prayer can be awkward. Prayer, corporate prayer can be difficult. But we, the reason that this church exists is because people pray. I, I drove here this morning and I saw people in the upper room praying before the pre-service prayer meeting. How's that? Some people are praying early at 6 in the morning, coming out, they're praying. And then they come downstairs and there's other people praying and we're saying, we want to be a people. It creates a culture. Hey, listen, how come Red Point's doing so well? I'm not saying he's doing so well, but if you were to ask that, if we were to see miracles and signs and wonders, people saved, oh, unbelievable preaching. You must meet our pastor, man. Or you must meet the other pastors. Nothing to do with that. We called upon the name of the Lord. We called upon his name. We didn't know what to do. Our Father, your kingdom come. Your will be done. We don't know what to do. Your will be done. Help us, Lord. Oh, but you prayed that yesterday. And we prayed again today, every day. Daily bread, Lord. We're a praying people. They all joined constantly in prayer. When you pray, God lets you in on the secrets of what he's doing. He's not going to tell you what I'm doing. <laughs> You're on your own, buddy. Pray. I'm leading this. I'm the head of the church. Pray. Jesus, the embodiment of divinity, prays the whole night. They joined constantly in prayer. They devoted themselves to prayer. Point number five. Prayer creates an incredible culture in a church. I'm going to write a book about how we did church. Don't. Just, just say no. I'm going to write a book. It's, it's called Matthew 6. It's called The Lord's Prayer. Pray. Can I pray for you? Not well. Okay, we, we, we don't start a meeting. We don't stop a meeting without prayer. We want to be a people that learn how to pray. We're having a, all our mates over for, to watch uh, um, rugby, and then we're going to have a bra. And we lost. Imagine having a, like a 15-minute prayer meeting before the bra. Hey, Lord, we just want to worship you. Thank you for our kids running around, making a noise, spilling the juice on the carpet. Praise you. You're good, God. Amen? Point number five, unity of the Spirit and diversity of giftings. The Spirit unites, the devil divides.
unity. It's like precious oil poured down on Aaron's robe. There is God's bestowed or commanded blessing. Unity. Unity in marriage. Unity on the eldership team. Unity amongst the leaders of the church. Unity. It's a beautiful thing. In diversity, apostles, prophets, do all prophesy. What does it say? Um, do all speak in other tongues? Are all teachers? Are all works of miracles? No, it's rhetorical. No, but some, some, some. He ascended and he gave this and this and this and There's a diversity that I want a unity. One God, one spirit, one Lord, amen? All those beautiful things. One faith, one baptism, one Father who is over all, who is through all and who is in all. Diversity of gifts. Four minutes. Next point, gospel is important. What is the gospel? The gospel means, as of first importance, Christ died for my sins. Which means I'm gracious to you, and you're gracious to me. Actually, he, he, he died and he rose again. It's of first importance that the gospel, we're a people who love the gospel. It's the, it's the good news that somebody else has on our behalf done something. Well, what makes you so holy? <laughs> Not holy. He died for me because I'm a sinner. We all stumble in many ways. And so if Dave comes to me and says, you know, Nick, oh, I punched the guy at the robot because he cut me off. I said, Dave, you're a good man because I would have killed him. But, <laughs> but grace, grace, grace. Let's pray together. Let's, let's, let's be kind to each other. Let's, let's understand that we don't want to soften the gospel, Okay. It's a, it's a value that creates a culture of, of tenderness. The man comes in and says, hey, bro, I've got something to confess to you. <laughs> Bad. Hey, let's, let's, let's pray. In fact, I've also got something I want to confess to you. While you have confessed to me, I want to say to you, I actually suffer from the same thing. Let's pray together. Amen? I mean, I, I could spend ages on that. Serving, culture of serving. And you have beautiful weddings and you, and you, you actually people come in and they come with a gift of serving and they yeast the whole house. That's what um, Dan came with this morning. Generous, be generous on all occasions. We want to be a generous house. I mean generous all the time. Um, what does the scripture say? Be generous on all occasions. Do you tithe? Do you give to the Lord the first fruits? Thank you for those of you that tithe. I've, I've had to get involved in the finance of the church, so sometimes I've got to look at bank accounts. I just see, just see amount, tithe, 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 tithe. 100 rand, 200 rand, 500 rand, 1,000 rand, 3,000 rand, 5,000 rand, 10,000 rand, 15,000 rand, tithe. I want to say thank you to you that you tithe, because you know what makes this place? How was this place built? On offerings and tithes of people that are here and that have gone before. And we walk into it. Mm, get the Lord a hundred bucks. Tithe. Be generous. It creates a culture of 